Hello, I'm your host Jim McLean. Welcome to the latest edition of the Bandaflix podcast. So I'm joined now by Dr. Carolyn North from the University of Ulster. We're here at the Nerve Centre. Carolyn, can you just tell me a wee bit about uh, what you've been doing here today for International Women's Day? Yeah, so uh, it's International Women's Day and the young programmers have put on a screening of female action heroes, so Mad Max specifically. Um, and I'm just giving away half an hour talk beforehand to talk about the evolution of the female action hero in American cinema. What for you or how would you define the female superhero the female kick the kick-ass superhero now it's a very loaded question because uh, actually one of the conversations i just had was about what defines a female action hero is it enough that she's ass kicking and and you know in a lot of these movies seeking vengeance and everything else or does she need to be something more um and really that's something that's still being evolved um within cinema but certainly what we see today we see a lot more of uh the equivalencies of bruce willis arnold schwarzenegger that kind of physically active superhero um or action hero um but there's also others such as and i've mentioned it in there but lady vengeance um which is about a thinking action hero and one that doesn't need to be so physically aggressive um, but can still uh, follow an action hero plot. One of the actresses you mentioned early on was Pam Greer. Now, I would be mostly familiar with Pam Greer. I know she's big within the exploitation, but uh, from like Jackie Brown and stuff like that, which is a film, it's my favourite Quentin Tarantino film, absolutely, and I absolutely adore her in that film. You've mentioned her, but what for? if I could push you just to kind of, kind of go back and repeat what you said during your talk about her role within that and kind of how she kind of defined that kind of kick-ass hero? Yeah, um, I mean, uh, first of all, it's really interesting that you mentioned Jackie Brown because Tarantino uh, frequently uses exploitation references and that's part of the reason he cast Pam Greer was because he likes the exploitation genre. Um, Pam Greer was the first female action hero. She is the godmother. She is the thing that started it all off. And she originally starred in uh, women in prison films or whip films, um, which were very sexualized. The really men's films. It's an excuse to watch softcore porn in a movie context. Uh, but when she moved into uh, Coffee and Foxy Brown, um, directed by Jack Hill, uh, she changed the genre all of a sudden she was an action hero and she was a female action hero and what's a shame is that very few people do remember her from those movies because not only has she been erased as a female action hero but the black woman um, who started the genre it was black women who started the genre and they have been erased from the evolution of the female action hero We very, there are very few female action heroes now of colour um, except for Black Panther being a move in the right direction yeah, I totally agree. Like one, like one character, when you mentioned Pam Greer, and I never really thought of in that role, and you may disagree with me completely here, mm-hmm. Tura Satana in Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, like the Russ Meyer stuff, I don't know whether you'd consider it. I mean, you're looking at me pseudo-angrily, so whether you maybe disagree <laughs> with me completely, but in that same kind of way of someone who's a kind of almost sexualized hero, feminine hero, I don't know whether you would agree with me or not. Yeah, and I think that's uh, part of the problem with a lot of female action heroes and what we're starting to move away from is sexualization. So I talked about uh, what I call Julie years, which is the naughties. But Julie operated because she was sexual. That, mm-hmm. that was kind of the point. Charlie's Angels, anything around the naughties was kind of, you know, that sort of sexual being. Um, 
And really part of the problem is that women became the object of a male gaze. Uh, so Hollywood studios decided that, yes, they could draw in people to female-led action movies, but only if they made those action heroes incredibly sexual. Um, and, I mean, you see it in the 70s, you see it in the 90s. We're starting to move away from it again, um, and hopefully we stay away from it, because I would rather that the woman was the subject of the film than the object. I would agree with you to an extent, although I have just seen Red Sparrow, which kind of is one of those strange films. I think that's a whole other kind of minefield that we could go down with. But one thing, and again, whether or not this is just kind of my own kind of opinion, I've touched on this before with our podcast. Like one thing we've seen with the rise of uh, female, female superheroes and uh, female leading actresses in a way that sometimes... There's in a sense when they are this kind of kick-ass role, they have to sacrifice their femininity. Now you mentioned two actresses and you mentioned two roles, like you've got Alien and you mentioned the Terminator franchise. Those are two very strong female roles and even to an extent Furiosa, which is being played tonight. Whether you would agree with me or not, but they are not what you would call... There's in a sense, in one way, you could see that they're almost sacrificing femininity to become the, the people that they become. Maybe that is me looking at, again, you've mentioned that term, male gaze. I don't know, would that be me reading that correctly or would you disagree with that? Yeah, no, I think, I think you're 100% correct and this is why I'm talking about what defines a female action hero needs to be discussed because if it is physical uh, ability, if it is about aggression, that is a very masculine trait. So you have to sacrifice femininity to be aggressive because aggressive is traditionally a masculine trait. Um, now, on the other side of that, and again, sorry, I will return to Lady Vengeance, Park Chamwick. Lady Vengeance is particularly interesting because it shows femininity as a performance. Uh, Juma, or Juma, Juma, uh, uh, throughout it is uh, acting. She acts when she's in the prison. She acts when she gets out. She puts on big, big mascara, or sorry, big, big eyeshadow. Um, and she acts a performance of femininity throughout that movie. And that's why I think it sort of stands alone because I would call it closer to a feminist action movie than anything we've seen. However, on the other side of that, you are right, is, is androgyny a bad thing? Is If we move away from femininity, are we sacrificing the female? Because that's two very different things. And really, should we not be at a point where we're moving away from you know masculine and feminine traits? And is one better than the other? You know, it's uh, The action hero has been a typically male and typically masculine role. Um, and for women to break into that might mean sacrificing femininity if it's all about physical aggression. But certainly uh, there can still be elements of femininity. So again, Sarah Connor, we talked about, she's still a nurturer and a protector to John. Uh, she still raises him. It's just that she raises him in such a way. So she, she raises him to prepare him for the future, but the future she's preparing him for is bleak. Um, and that's feminist character, or fem, sorry, feminine characteristics. That's uh, motherhood. Um, so it's the combination of the two. And I think that if you can work that Indian action movie, well, then it makes a real difference. One film just, again, it popped into my mind when you were talking just there now, and just earlier on when you were doing the presentation, is Neil Marshall's The Descent, which is a film I absolutely adore. And, I mean, it's, it's, we, we, we screened this film last year, and we always put it... It's a, it's a wonderful kind of... When you look at Neil Marshall's back catalogue, he did Dog Soldiers, which had a male group, and then he put the same kind of... Almost the same kind of a scenario. He put a group of females in together, and the result is ever so slightly terrifying in that kind of... I mean, is that something... Would that, in this kind of definition of kick-ass heroes, would that be, like, the film that you would consider? Again, it's... 
they're quite aggressive in the way in which it plays out, but I don't know whether you would you would include that film within kind of what we've been talking about tonight. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, it's it, that is a fantastic movie, by the way. I love the descent, um, but it borders on. It's a bit like Alien in that it borders on a horror movie. And when these action movies start to border on horror movies, we need to ask. Are these female action heroes or are these women in horror or are they falling at the line in between? Because women in horror is a done trope. A woman being chased by a monster is a done thing, but a female action hero is a new thing. So crossing that border or falling in between in that line um, can be dangerous because we don't really know if these are action heroes or if these are uh, you know, victims that take back control. I do want to move on to Wonder Woman because I, I do think that is a character, particularly with the the, the portrayal that Patty Jenkins served up, is someone who's a, who's kick ass but is ultimately feminine. But before I do, I couldn't resist not to bring up Bond Girls because we've seen that change and we've seen Bond Girls for good and for bad. We've seen them go from eye candy to we've seen you know we had a Xena on a top. In '95, to Eva Green's uh, character in Casino Royale, we've seen those rules change and adapt with time. There's still a way to go. You know, we have Monica Bellucci, and the last Bond is very much the quintessential bit of eye candy. But surely, again, that must be something that's still a positive to say. I know the Bond girl trope. There's there's positive and negatives that goes with it, but there has been some characters along that way that have bucked the trend. Talk to me when Bond's a woman. That's that's the answer to that. I, I don't want eye candy. I don't want someone Bond seduces, sleeps with, and just happens to be good uh, at fighting along the way. I want Bond to be a woman. I was very happy when Judy Dent was in charge, but she's gone now. Um, and I think that until we can look at the female action hero as being the lead and centre, and especially spy movies, because Atomic Blonde is the first one to really break that um, in the 21st century as a female spy in a lead role. Um, and that's sort of the only equivalency we have at the moment for Bond. But yeah, no, when Bond when Bond is 007 is a she, you can come back to me. <laughs> I will hope one day we'll have that conversation because I know I know you've mentioned the Julie Years um, and we've, we've just mentioned Atomic Blonde. And I know earlier on, like you mentioned the Julie Years, we have Salt. That is somewhere that we, I mean, I've just mentioned earlier on as well, Red Sparrow, we're seeing that kind of thing. But... I can't, I mean, I mentioned earlier on Wonder Woman. Um, I adored that film. And it was, it was part of a recent trend where we have seen this rise of, of females or female-centric features, like Star Wars has moved. And I mean, I can't believe I've got this far without mentioning Carrie Fisher, a woman I adored. I never got to meet, I never got to meet, but her death hurt me. And I mean, I'm not, but I'm not going to go down that. I mean, I just idolised that woman. But, you know, we've seen, you know, with, with Ray in Star Wars, with Katniss Everdeen in The Hunger Games, that rise of, female, of the female-centric features front and centre of big blockbusters. But the reason why I always come back to Wonder Woman, it's that reason I, I touched on earlier on, she's not a character who has to sacrifice her femininity at any chance. She's, she's a woman, but she's also strong. She's a warrior. And it's, I think it's... I, I love that. I loved, absolutely love that film. And there's a scene that, for me, sums it up. It's to war oh, look, a baby. And any time I see I know that, that's just me. And I think when you put it in context, you know, you touched on this, the Weinstein kind of situation. Last year when we seen that kind of scandal unfold, when we had at the same time 
Wonder Woman front and centre with her message of love but being strong as well. I've rambled, so I shall pass the mic to you. Yeah, um, don't worry, I'll ramble on the answer too. Wonder Woman uh, progresses the genre, um, definitely. Patty Jenkins, fantastic director. The costume in, in Wonder Woman, and this is very important, I was talking about this earlier, the costume in for Wonder Woman, unlike any previous Wonder Woman film, um, is actually based on Roman old Roman designs. Uh, the Amazons, and you know, this is common knowledge, but the, the shield plating on their left breast, Amazons uh, would have cut off their left breast to be better with a bow and arrow. Um, so things like that where Patty Jenkins is remaining true to uh, the, the comics and things like that, you know, I find really interesting without sacrificing, you know, without having to make Wonder Woman into a tiny little costume and everything else. You know, it is feminist in that respect. I would argue that there are problems still within it. So there are things like she has to have a love interest. Everyone comments on how pretty she is. She has to be beautiful, um, which is a real problem. Now, Wonder Woman is beautiful. She's an Amazon. But the fact that it, it is commented on by a couple of men throughout the movie and that these men stop and stare at her, why she can't get on with her day and save the world. Um, but I do think that it's definitely, you know, seeing uh, an action movie led by a female director I think becomes incredibly important um, to, to moving the genre forward. And part of the thing about these superhero movies, uh, you know, and this, this evolution of the superhero franchise, is that it does give things like Wonder Woman uh, front and center. Uh, but it also, I mean, there are times, one of the biggest ones was Black Widow. Um, and I remember they released a toy from Age of Ultron where Black Widow drops out on, uh, from the ship on a motorbike. Except it wasn't Black Widow dropped out, it was Hawkeye. They put her, it might have been Captain America, they put on the top of it. But the point was they completely erased the woman in that film whenever they released the toy because they thought, well, people won't, won't do that. And again, with Star Wars, we see a move towards you know, more women in the front house. But we also see a huge backlash online and a huge backlash by what I'll say are MRA, men's rights activists, um, and... Uh, you know, dedicated Star Wars movie fans. It's probably the biggest bone of contention who have said, you know, well, we don't want to look at all these women. This is just PC gone mad. But if you look at Time's Up and Me Too and movements like this, and in the wake of the, uh, the Weinstein scandal, we do need more women in behind the scenes as much as we need women in front of the screen because Pill Bill, while a fantastic movie, in the wake of the Weinstein scandal, can't be considered feminist the way that it once was. Maybe more women behind the screen will change that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, I've talked about this. Uh, I was over at Glasgow Film Festival. There was a whole talk about this, about the fact that it's great to see on-screen portrayal, not just for, for women, but of, of, of colour and race and uh, LGBT, but it's given those people the opportunities behind the screen as well to get equal representation. And, you know, it's very topical with Frances McDormand's speech at the Oscars as well. But I do want to come back. I mean, there's loads. I, I can, there's loads going through my head. I could sit and talk to you now. Like, I mean, we, we had the Ghostbusters a few years ago yeah, yeah. that backlashed it, and I, I do remember at the time when we reviewed it. I, I said, look, I'm not a sexist. I, I just don't like this film, and that's because a, I have a love for the original, and b, it's just not funny enough. But I mean, just uh, while it's maybe veering off what we're talking about here, just while I've got you here, you know, were you surprised by that kind of reaction and how that? escalated that kind of online Twitter trolling because we had the, the female-centric Ghostbusters, which brings me on as well to the female Doctor Who, which again, is just it's popped into my head. It's the way my lightning bulbs work. The kind of online backlash to that when, I'll be honest, I have absolutely no problem with, with female recast in, in any way. The Doctor's not a defined gender. Right, well actually I think it's really interesting. I want to talk about it tonight uh, during the 
the presentation, but actually I didn't have time. So Ghostbusters is one, but Heat is another. The Heat, the Heat, Heat. Uh, Heat is a very different movie. I've just realised how that you know that the, not that one. The Heat, um, which is Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock, um, and it's a buddy cop movie. It's the equivalent of Hot Fuzz, um, and it's not necessarily the funniest thing in the world. I don't find uh, Melissa McCarthy is quite funny. I don't find Sandra Bullock particularly hilarious. Um, but these are moving. Uh, these are women moving into genres where they haven't been before, and I think that sometimes it's like all films. You have to put up with a bit of crap. So I didn't like the female-led Ghostbusters movie um, as much as I like Ghostbusters, which is a childhood favorite. And any, you know, if they remake ET tomorrow, regardless of a male or female cast, you're not going to like it as much as you like ET. Um, so I think you know you take a risk with things like that. But the point is that that's women trying to get into action movies that are comedy action movies, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, and again, uh, you know, we you were talking there about uh, the erasure of women of colour and things like that. I mean, the other thing to recognise with these movies is that it's predominantly white. They are predominantly white movies, and I don't think that we move anywhere further along until we start looking at including more people of colour um, into these films as well. But there is a huge backlash online even about that. Um, and that online, what I'll call trolling, but it's not always trolling, um, as far as I see it, if you take a huge amount of offence that Jyn Erso is a main character in Star Wars, don't go to the movie. I guarantee you there are women who are dying to see that because the same way as Carrie, Carrie Fisher, who you mentioned earlier, who's late, great, amazing woman, um, and one of my favourite, sorry, I'm going to ramble a wee bit, but one of my favourite uh, signs from the Women's March uh, in America was a picture of Carrie Fisher just after she died, and it just said, good women don't defeat empires. And I thought that's, that's Carrie Fisher in a nutshell. Um, but Carrie Fisher, watching Star Wars, Carrie Fisher was, was my hero. And being allowed to see people that represent me or represent my interests is good. But, you know, if we see more people of colour, women of colour and specifically, then we can start to see more young people get into film. We can start to see more young people think, well, there's more that I can be than what I've been told that I can be. And I think that's important. And as I say, if you're online and, and you want to troll, troll away. But... No one's going to cry if you don't come and watch the film. It'll still make money, you know. I completely agree. I think, you know, you've mentioned Carrie Fisher again. The one thing I love about Carrie Fisher, when I look back at those original films, while she's the, the princess, on face, on face value, she's the princess, but she's never a damsel in distress. You know, her first line is, aren't you... I think it's her first line whenever she's uh, Luke Skywalker comes to save her, is, aren't you a little small for a stormtrooper? I, I, like, I've, I've talked at nauseam about the woman. I absolutely adore her. There was one question I'd written down, and it was just to kind of to, to pick your brains, because I know we've talked for a bit, and I know you have to get home. But do you think TV has been quicker to react and, and change than cinema? Because, I mean, when we look back, at, you're talking about the 90s earlier on, the 90s and 90s, we had Buffy. We had, whether or not she's not, whether you would consider a kick-ass or not, we had Scully with the X-Files. You know, we had those rules in the 90s. Do you think TV has reacted quicker than, than the big screen has? I mean, I think so. Joss Whedon is actually a brilliant example because if we look at Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which will differentiate from, you know, the Marvel movies, um, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has a much more diverse cast than any Marvel movie. 
Um, and back, you know, as you said, Buffy, Buffy is a kick-ass female action hero. It's a, I think there's a great big bang quote where he says, you do get that usually it's the vampires chasing the cheerleader and this is the other way around. And that's what Joss Whedon does. He plays with these uh, narratives that we know, that we understand, um, and he makes something different and he makes it diverse. And I do think that, I'm not saying he's a flawless director, I think there are problems there, um, but certainly he has taken on uh, quite a lot and changed and I think TV does move forward faster but I also think that there can be problems with that again more so when studios get involved so for example and this isn't actually related to action heroes in any way but Mock the Week is to do with female comedians uh, when Mock the Week uh, stated that they wanted a woman uh, on their panel one woman each week on their panel the BBC made a massive deal out of that because they were doing inclusion and diversity and they were going to put a woman on their panel. And Dara O'Brien actually came out and said, well, why are we making a big deal? Why can't we just do the thing? Why do we have to make a big hoopla about it? And in the same way Doctor Who, you mentioned there, and I think it's really interesting, because Doctor Who had to sort of ease their fans into it by making Missy, or uh, the master, a woman first to go, look, they can be women too, in a kind of... And I actually thought what, what, what I would have preferred, not that... Uh, there's any problem with their casting choice. I actually think she was very good in Broadchurch. But uh, she, uh, I actually think it would have been quite fun if she had been Ginger and then freaked out because it was Ginger for a long, long time before realising that she was actually a woman, I think would have been a nice way to do it. And to just spring it on the audience. I don't think you need to ease people into it. We're in the 21st century. The same way as you didn't need to, I mean, they, at one point River Song was a woman of colour and they didn't, need to ease people into that because that feels somehow racially insensitive and it, it is insensitive to women to have to ease men into the idea that a woman exists in their world um, especially considering Doctor Who has a massive female fan base including myself One of my favourite things and, I, and we are going to wrap up but one of my favourite things was when they introduced Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who, what is it, the first thing of course that she does she crashes the, she crashes the <laughs> TARDIS which is just was like the wrong she won't be able to drive the TARDIS, she won't be able to do this and it's like they just embrace that and uh, I am really excited, I think particularly because I love Jodie Whittaker as an actress. I've met her. She's absolutely lovely. I think, without, without knowing, because we haven't seen it, I think she'll be another David Tennant in that kind of really bringing the, the franchise back front and centre. Just to bring things to a close, and I know there's things you've touched on throughout as, we, as we've spoken, but for you, as we sit here in, in 2018, you know, what are your hopes that with the, the kick-ass, the kick-ass leading lady... What are your hopes going forward we're going to see more of and what do you want to see less of? Yeah, um, well, I think, you know, less of certainly, as I said, that, that leading in, that kind of, we have, to, we have to prepare people for what we're about to do because there's about to be a woman. Um, that can, I was about to say a bad word. And That's okay. All right, that can fuck right off. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> what I would love to see, and I think it's, it's you know, the way it should be is, is more people of colour in the genre. I think there needs to be greater or representation and greater diversity. Uh, they've said now that, uh, you know, studies, psychological studies have shown that if there's more than 30% of women in any crowd, men thinks there's too many women in a shot. Um, and that in itself is weird. You know, being able to change that, I think, is important. And also, sorry, something I wanted to touch on and didn't about Wonder Woman, the fact that she falls in love with a guy is a heteronormative storyline, but she lives on an island full of women. Mm -hmm. 
and I assume that those women have relationships with other women. I mean, she does touch on it briefly with the, you know, the book where, well, men aren't necessary, but somehow she still falls in love with a man. There is, I think, a love interest. I think it's Robin Wright's character has a has a has a, a female lover. It's it's just one thing, and I was going to bring this up, and then it dropped out of my head. Was the fact? Do you think, in a way, with that Wonder Woman? Whilst I, I actually completely agree with you on that trope, in a way that we saw the kind of damsel in distress role that being flipped from the hero. We have the hero, which of course is Wonder Woman, but we have with Chris Pratt's character, he's flipped to the damsel in distress. That was my only kind of when I, I remember when I reviewed the film. That was my only way of looking at it was the fact that I, as you say, it was the fact. Why does she have to fall in love? Why do we have to have those conversations on the boat as they leave the mistake? But. My only, my only obvious thing I could think of was it's the flipping of the gender roles. It's the flipping of she's the hero and he's the damsel in distress. Ah, uh, but he's not the damsel in distress because he's Stephen Rogers. Mm. Uh, Stephen, Steve Rogers. I suppose he's Stephen. Uh, <laughs> he flies off and blows up the plane and oh my goodness, and she screams because she's lost him. And when have you ever seen James Bond cry over his victims as much as what? He, his death gave her the power to defeat the superhero, or the supervillain, sorry, and become the superhero that she was meant to be. And that within itself, the idea that the male furthered the narrative and made her stronger um, just by being there. And that, that is kind of why I can't see Wonder Woman for the feminist, iconic movie that people want it to be today. Um, and I think that the, the idea of uh, sexual erasure and heteronormativity in Wonder Woman is prevalent. And if we can, and as you were saying, just to wrap things up, if we, you know, things I want to see more of, you know, going forward, more with people of colour, women of colour specifically, um, but also greater uh, sexual freedoms and things like that. We don't need heteronormative storylines anymore and we don't need Kill Bill, as I said, I think I said earlier, has no love interest, which is fine. But, uh, you know, looking at making, you know, lesbian, bisexual, queer, trans, uh, gender or transsexual characters more prevalent in film, I think is, is important because it's what gets people interested in film is that they see themselves in the movies that they're watching. So. I couldn't agree more. And on that note, thank you very much, Caroline. Thank you. So that pretty much brings this podcast to a close. Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode. If you can't wait until then, don't forget you can check out our website for our complete back catalogue. But for now, until our next episode, goodbye.